Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey, listeners, be sure to check out our newest podcast called the Natural Products Resource Center. It will be coming out in September of 2019, and we can't wait for you to check it out. All things natural products uh, will be focused on medical cannabis at first, and then we'll be branching to other natural products topics. But be sure to follow us over there. We've got a new podcast coming out and we're excited to share it with you. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Seth Pasquale helps compounding pharmacies with compliance and quality issues through pharmacyinspection.com and mypharmacyeducation.com. He co-owns and operates BET Farm, a compounding pharmacy specializing in long-acting injectable hormone formulations for um, equine reproduction. He is the pharmacist in charge and operator of BET's sterile compounding facility in Lexington, Kentucky. And Seth provides a remarkable perspective and grasp of the processes, procedures, and operational aspects of aseptic processing of high-risk hazardous sterile injectable drugs. In 2018, Seth launched MyPharmacyEducation.com to build a video-based education platform for learning about all aspects of sterile compounding. Seth, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was good. good intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of things in there that, you know, my last name's really long and all this other stuff. So, no, you did really well. Like, man, he's trying to trick me with all of these like words. <laughs> um, well, yeah. anyway, there's a lot to dig into. But um, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, if if there are any uh, gaps in that intro or if you want to share a little bit more uh, with our audience about your personal life or anything, we'd love to have a chance to learn more about Seth. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I didn't really include in there how I got into doing all this stuff and, and compliance specifically with the USP standards. And, you know, since even beyond USP standards, I, I, I do help people along with uh, even GMP type stuff from time to time. But the, um, the background there is I, I started actually doing consulting for a company, uh, another pharmacy basically that wanted me to come in and do a gap analysis more or less. Um, one of the states had asked uh, that they get a third party inspection and they found me and went up there. The pharmacy wasn't totally uh, 
a mess. <laughs> it was it was actually fairly compliant, but there were there were a, a few gaps in their in their program and and systems that I was like, well, you know, I wonder how common some of these gaps are. Uh, the more uh, I started doing consulting, I, I kind of saw a little bit of a pattern between some of the compounding pharmacies and just the, um, some gaps in in their quality systems. So uh, from there, you know, I started writing about a lot of those topics, you know, just thinking about, okay, so how can I try to help as many people rather than just doing this individually one-on-one? So took to the internet and started writing blog posts about quality. And that's uh, wow. that's where pharmacy but inspection now, came from. Now, Seth, how did they find they, you to do the yeah, inspection? Uh, um, it was actually done through like a, a third party um, that mutual contact, somebody that basically got in touch with me because it was in another state and everything. I don't want to like say where or anything like that, but, but yeah, it, th- we were – geographically not very close to each other. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, after that, you know, I started writing on, on my website and all those blog posts and then more people started contacting me. And, you know, I, I do, I don't do a ton of consulting to be totally honest with you. Um, sometimes uh, I'll get something and I'll, kind of farm it out to somebody else, uh, that another two or three other, uh, consultants I work with, um, with different specialties and everything. So, um, but yeah, me personally, I, I, I do some consulting here and there, but not a ton. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm definitely available. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into all this stuff. And then, uh, I got the idea. You talked a little about in my intro about myfarmacyeducation.com, and that's that's really like an idea I've had probably going back like two years. Like I, I feel like people need to see some of this stuff, how to comply with with these standards. Um, you know, I can't say that video would be a good platform for every CE program, but. You know, for for compounding in particular, it's such a hands-on technical activity that you really do kind of need to see this stuff. And I don't know, I don't know if you've ever worked in hospital, but you know, hospitals, you know, they're in their own like little bubble. And like, if they don't go to another hospital, mm-hmm. the people that work for hospitals, if they don't go to another hospital, they don't see how this stuff is done. So there's, you know, there's doesn't seem to be a whole lot of comparing notes among compounding pharmacies and hospitals. So just kind of, you know, puts out the opportunity for somebody to kind of, that does know this stuff really well, intimately, uh, to kind of generate this new develop a new, uh, kind of continuing education program. So they, um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool. I, I am, um, yeah, well, I'm hoping that that's that takes off um, a little bit further this, so this year. You've definitely got the, the entrepreneurial spirit, uh, which is, which is awesome. So Seth, um, did, had you always been doing compounding or how did, how did you fall into that? Yes. Yeah, so, no, I, I have not always done compounding. I've, I've done a whole bunch of things, but not always, uh, not always compounding. So I, I have 
probably the most experience in retail, but I got into compounding in 2014, like the, the current position that I'm in now. Um, just kind of looking for a, a job closer to home. I was at the time I was like, uh, going back and forth between Louisville and Lexington, which is about an hour, hour and 20 minute drive working for one of the retail chains and working until like 11 o'clock at night, getting home like 1230, o'clock. <laughs> so, you know, at the time it just wasn't really the most ideal situation, but, um, found this, found this position here. And, um, again, you know, I'm kind of, even when I just started, so I started in summer of 2014 as like a, just a staff and then became PIC in 2015, January one, and then, um, kind of hit the ground running in terms of compliance stuff. Cause I was inspected, um, in March and again, I had just become PIC in January. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there is definitely some compliance gaps in my own pharmacy <laughs> that I was a PIC of. And so I spent the next, you know, seven months or so, um, redesigning design, getting a, a design for a clean room and then doing an entire build out by November of 2015. So from January to November, I had become PIC, <laughs> built a whole new pharmacy. Not, this wasn't totally all by myself, obviously, but, and then, you know, I uh, got a new clean room that was all compliant with USP 800. Um, back then in 2015, I, I don't, I didn't know anybody that was doing an 800 build. So there weren't a whole lot of references out there for how to do this and how to do that. And we, we definitely encountered a whole bunch of hiccups throughout that project, unfortunately. Um, but in doing so, I, I definitely learned a ton about all of this stuff. And that's kind of really where mm -hmm. I got really into like compliance with, uh, with the USB standard. So, you know, 800 is coming up and, um, you know, a lot of people are still, um, I still get questions even, even today, somebody was asking me about non-sterile, um, hazardous compounding standards and what do they, what do they have to comply with and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, so, you know, it just shows that some people are still not totally compliant, whether their state is going to make them be compliant or not, you know, that I suppose that's, that's an individual thing, but, um, some of the, the really big things that have been, I feel like I've, I've tried to help people with is when you first open up a USB 800 queen room, you really have to think about, uh, contamination control is like your major priority because you're dealing with negative pressure. So negative pressure is going to be sucking air into the clean room. Um, a lot of facilities are used to having like their clean room right next to like their just general pharmacy area with no layer of air, clean air in between. So that uh, type of scenario doesn't really work, unfortunately, for a USP 800 
compliant clean room i've found at least that's what i that's what's been my experience um because the general pharmacy area is not a clean area <laughs> no offense to any pharmacies but it just isn't and um and so your your room quite possibly or will suck any of the particulate from outside the queen room into the queen room from the general area. So it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, a shift in how we think about our building our facilities out and, you know, cleanliness and sanitize, sanitize, ah, sanitizing the areas and what areas need to be super clean and what areas can not be so clean like the general area. So it's, it, it's, it is a little bit of a challenge just because I think it's, it's a little bit of a departure from what we're used to seeing when we go into pharmacies with clean rooms. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I've had a lot of fun with how trying to help people understand some of these concepts and, you know, this is, it's kind of a big deal, I feel like, because if you get these USP 800 builds wrong, it's going to cost you a whole lot more money <laughs> than it, it would if you had done it just right, uh, right from the beginning. And so, so Seth, when that's was the, probably the been biggest, one of the big um, motivating factors prior for me to getting this. I mean, some it's, of this it's information been a while about USP 800 uh, out specifically. You know, people have had um, to really so yeah. um, look at reconfiguring or reconstructing uh, their clean rooms. Yeah. So you know, the USP compounding committee works in five-year terms. So basically, you know, they'll, they'll come out with probably a revision at least every five years. Um, and then in between, they'll, they'll come out with uh, drafts and, you know, public comment periods and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there, there really has been a major change in at least five years. Um, USB 800 was kind of, I think, first introduced out into the world in 2014, I believe. But don't quote me on that, but I think it's a, it was around that time. And a lot of people, you know, saw this this upcoming chapter and a lot of changes, uh, you know, that would require basically all the clean rooms in the country that are handling hazardous drugs to be rebuilt or added onto. Um, so yeah, there, there just really hasn't been a major, major change like that in, in a while. Um, Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. So, and then 797 has also been so what revised. what are some of the key, too, I guess, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a few changes that, in that, but um, nothing you know, what's quite the difference as major between 800, like 797, sure. 795. Um, and then who needs to be paying attention to each of these different regulations? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, simply put, you know, if, if you're doing compounding of any kind, you should be looking at these standards uh, 
for non-sterile, that's $7.95. For sterile, that's $7.97. And if you're doing hazardous compounding, either sterile or non-sterile, um, you'll definitely want to look at USP 800. So I think for the most part, any any compounding pharmacy probably knows what, what to look at, where to look at things. But, you know, for people that might be getting into compounding, um, these are the, kind of the uh, the first pieces of inf- information that you should probably put in front of your eyes and read and check out. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the standards. And, you know, what's what's kind of I'll, – I'll, we'll just mention one thing real quick. In, outside of those USP standards, there's actually a, a whole bunch of other standards that compounders can really learn a ton from. In fact, like the, the USP actually combines all that in what they call the compounding compendium. And that's, you know, updated on a yearly basis with information. Sometimes they might add new chapters, not necessarily 797, 800, but, you know, 800 is one of those chapters that obviously they, they recently um, added. So this compound and compendium is, is a huge book, but it has a ton of great information ranging from analytical testing of pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical compounds, microbial information, uh, contamination and control. Seth, just I to, mean, there's just to a clarify ton of for our listeners, if they um, are, are unfamiliar with, with the difference for between sterile and non-sterile compounding, so, what, what exactly um, does that mean? So yeah, sterile compounds are your compounds that are going to be injected into you know, a vein, uh, intramuscularly, uh, in the spine, um, all those medications you'd want to have, uh, sterile medications, uh, going into you. Non-sterile is, is oral, topical, um, you know, things, things like that, creams and ointments and, um, and the like. So, uh, yeah, if if you're unfamiliar with what sterile and non-sterile are, and I think um, I've even heard that yeah, there are some new changes again, in regards checking out to these the different standards for, from USP would would really help a lot um, with that. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a whole uh, subject within USP 800. You know, you really want to have a separate. Storage containers, you know, covered garbage cans, more or less, for any hazardous materials you're going to be compounding with. Even, you know, disposing your your gloves and and your, you know, whatever you're compounding in, you'd want to put that in hazardous waste. Um, and then there's, it's kind of like a, a reverse distribution type thing almost, but you're you're essentially contracting out a third party to come and remove all of your all of your hazardous waste, which you know, is, is again, you know, one of those major changes that people are probably not used to, um, maybe not sure like what companies to contact. Um, I'm definitely available to, to help any, anybody with any of that stuff, tackle any of that information. I've kind of been there, done that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's this entire process that you kind of have to, potentially have to start organically from, from the ground up and, and just try to figure out, okay, at every point that I'm handling a hazardous drug of some kind, how am I bringing it into the pharmacy? How am I storing it? 
how am I manipulating it when, uh, when I have it out for compounding and then how am I getting rid of it? Um, and so, so some yeah, of this, it's, it's, it's a whole uh, kind of was, was in, process uh, that you really ha- kind of have to come up with. And the USP 800 do, does give some guidance that in, happened in a few years back. Well. I know the DSCSA or Drug Supply Chain and Security Act, um, that was uh, a little uh, a regulation that came out really to secure the supply chain. And, and it was in part due to um, uh, some, some injectables that were, um, did not have pure ingredients going in. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of how, why the, the, I guess, increased uh, uh, diligence in some of these newer regulations? Yeah, so I I definitely think that there's um, maybe not USP 800 necessarily, but definitely there's there's aspects of 797 that I'd, I'd say you could definitely attribute to some of these things that have happened. You know, the, probably the biggest um, high profile thing is what is what you mentioned at uh, NECC the, in Massachusetts, and um, you can see that they're trending, or at least it seems like they're trending towards, USP committee is trending towards doing more environmental monitoring, more quality control type type activities, um, definitely increasing the standards, um, raising the, the bar, so to speak, um, to um, try to mitigate some of these issues. And then, you know, the FDA is is definitely helping that along as well. They they, they have advisors uh, that sit uh, with the USP committee when when they're talking about some of this stuff. Um, I, I I definitely think that you know so one aspect of the of the new revision within seven eighty seven definitely can be directly attributed back to some of these these things like NECC. Um, you know, most notably the beyond use dates, you know, they're, they're really trying to, um, ratchet down the beyond use dates to some degree so that, you know, you're really trying to eliminate as much as possible, even the chance for microbial contamination getting to the end end user, the patient. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see some of these shifts and changes, um, literally, taking place like right, right before our eyes. Um, and, uh, I, I, for the most part, I actually, I'm in agreement, uh, you know, on, on a lot of these things. I, I think there's, there's a couple things that we could tweak and make even a little bit better. I feel like we'll, uh, hmm. we'll see maybe, maybe the, uh, 20 and so to Seth, 25. Um, um, we were talking before the, uh, the USB show got rolling about can you being in Lexington, which is big, so, uh, horse racing we'll country. See. And, uh, that's, um, I guess a little bit about your, uh, current work. You're at, a. Um, a f- compounding pharmacy that specializes in the injectable hormones uh, for horse reproduction. So a lot of people probably aren't familiar with veterinary medicine and and some of those things. How did you know? Tell a little bit um, about how maybe that uh, customer base is a little different yeah. than um, the regular patient population. 
Yeah, it's 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 definitely a, a whole different animal. No pun intended. <laughs> they, it's it's definitely a different um, different aspect of pharmacy that I, I quite honestly didn't even think I, w- I would ever be in. Um, you know, being in in Lexington, like you pointed out, it is big horse country, and that's that that is all we do. Um, I would have never thought that you'd find such a niche within a niche within a niche. Like not only do we do veterinary compounding, but we just specialize in horses and really just specialize in reproduction. So it's, it's a really, it was a really interesting uh, thing. I I did not have any formal training in, in veterinary pharmacy to be totally honest with you, but my partners are, um, you know, one of my partners has a, a PhD mm-hmm. in equine reproductive physiology. Um, another one has has her master's and in, in, in the same. And and uh, so, I've definitely had to kind of brush up on on horse knowledge. <laughs> um, yeah, I I definitely get questions on a daily basis about you know random horse things typically in the in the realm of reproduction and some of those I can answer some of those I, I cannot and you know I just kind of do the do the best yeah. I can but interesting we'll, and uh, so for for those if, of you who be, aren't they, familiar they with, with of, Lexington my they have a big in uh, horse right or a, <laughs> but the uh, medication part of it Seth, you know that's a little easier for me to more, answer but, some of those um, questions I've, but, I've been a couple yeah. of times to Keeneland and I think they actually did some of the filming for you know maybe either Secretariat or you know one of these other um, big horse movies there. Um, Of course, probably a lot of people are familiar with the Kentucky Derby, which is in Louisville, just uh, about an hour and a half, two hours away from Lexington. But um, that's cool to be involved in that. And um, hopefully you get some, you know, priority seating and things for some of the horse races. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I helped helped to uh, create some of these, you know, next generation uh, no, horse uh, <laughs> leaders who will be, not. you know, winning even, some of the big time races. Unfortunately, they don't even day, know who I am so. when, I, when I show up there. Yeah, it's, right. Definitely, know, I, definitely I, I, not. I can say that well, about, Seb, about it, some um, of these horses. It's kind of cool, actually. Thanks yeah. for sharing about yeah. all of the, yeah. the interesting compounding things. I know that's a big hot so topic I don't, I don't really for to, uh, um, everyone in pharmacy that, so. just to be aware of. Um, <laughs> and as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists who are just getting started in their career? Uh, you know, it, it took me like, 35 years to figure this out, but, you know, doing what you love, uh, honestly. And, you know, I can honestly say I'm at a point in my life that I'm, I'm basically doing exactly what I want to be doing. You know, it's not all 100% pharmacy all the time, but, um, I've kind of melded together a whole bunch of my interests, you know, mm-hmm. with technology, I, you know, making websites and putting podcasts together and putting videos together, but all in the, in the realm of pharmacy. So, you know, it's, I, I've really melded a whole bunch of 
cool interests I have, or at least they're cool to me, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, and put them together into to something that I, I enjoy doing on a daily basis. So, yeah, I, I think just... I, I think that sounds so cheesy to say to people, but do what you do what you love. Definitely. Maybe first figure Definitely. out what you love. Well, Seth, it was <laughs> a pleasure to that. have you as a guest on the um, Talk to Your Farm. Because, like I said, it, it took me a while to figure some of this stuff out. But yeah, you know, don't ever just be complacent, and you know, always search for for what you want to do. Life's too short. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.